0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. This is my 14th attempt at this introduction. Why is it so hard for me? There should be a Patreon. I'll start a Patreon of just failed introduction attempts to this podcast. It's really humiliating. Anyways, welcome to the show, folks. I'm so glad you're here. This is a very special episode to me, hopefully to you, um. first and foremost, a little check-in. I hope you're doing well. I think there's some hope, right? Have you been uh, vaccinated? I'm starting to know people that are vaccinated. Almost my entire family is vaccinated. They're all firefighters and nurses and workers at hospitals. And uh, it's exciting. It really pays off to have a family of, uh, you know, oncology-educated people well now i gotta do another take i've never sounded dumber more dumb stupider more stupid oh boy i'm unraveling i just can't i can't start another introduction this has to be it no matter what happens this is the introduction this is jeopardy Mm -hmm. merv griffin Anyways, did you guys know Merv Griffin wrote that song? And it lasts exactly 30 seconds. That's a couple of fun notes for you that have nothing to do with anything. Anyways, are you vaccinated? That could be the Jimi Hendrix box set. All right, I got to get serious. This is a serious podcast, God damn it, And I'm a serious man. Great Common Brothers movie. Um, although not one of their best, I feel. Anyways, how are you doing? I hope you're doing well. We're getting some vaccines out there. Cases are dropping. Uh, they're expecting a Super Bowl spike. We'll see. But um, I, think, I think good news is coming. There's a new treatment that just got approved, and there's uh, another vaccine about to be approved. So I think we're going to get out of this, and warmer days are ahead. So hold on just a little longer, everybody. Be safe. Take care. Comb your hair. Enjoy your life. Now let's talk more about today's episode because it's one of my favorite ones I've ever done. Very important topic. I have a very special guest Catherine Price on the show. Finally, I know I've alluded to her being on the show a few times. She wrote the book How to Break Up with Your Phone, which I have mentioned on the show many times. I think I've mentioned it on Tuesdays with Stories, and I mention it in my act. It's a book that has had a wonderful effect on my life. And um, I recommend it to everybody. I would say pause the podcast or keep listening and divide your attention and go order the book, How to Break Up With Your Phone by Catherine Price. Wanted to have her on. When I was reading the book, I saw that um, she's represented by the same agency that I am. So I reached out to my agent and said, hey, maybe you could make this happen. And uh, he did, but she's a very busy woman. I'm a busy man also, but she's busier. And uh was writing another book, and she's a mother, and uh, a whole host of other things. But she said she would do it, and she uh, stayed true to that, which I am extremely grateful for. We finally got it done. Um, there's a couple moments where I've, there's been some distance between when I read the whole book and the interview, so I <laughs> couldn't remember a couple things. But um, Catherine ended up being, I thought she'd be very serious as a writer and, um, uh, what do you call it again, a journalist, scientist, but um, she was extremely fun, and uh gets dark towards the end, but it's a pretty lighthearted interview, we had a lot of laughs, she was really funny, and um, we really get into technology and the phone use, and, and some solutions, or um, some tips at least, on how to minimize your phone time They've uh, helped me a lot, and so I hope it'll be uh, beneficial to you, and I hope it'll make you want to uh, buy the book and or or rent it from a library. Is that what you do? Netflix it. I don't know. Get get the info. Get your hands on the info, and hopefully it uh, inspires you too to cut down on the social media and the phone because there's some crazy stats. I didn't. Some of them I didn't even get into. I took a bunch of notes for the interview, and then basically threw him out like George Costanza because the conversation was uh, great. But one of the stats that's in her book is Facebook. There is, this is a staggering stat, 39,757 years worth of attention per day on Facebook. I mean, that doesn't even make sense to me, but... Anyways, I'm looking at all my questions that I never even got to. Um, another f- uh, fact in there or study is if you spend four hours a day on your phone, which is the average, that's average, by the end of the year you've spent 52 days of the year on your phone. And um, we talk about these things, a lot of other things. I wish I had more time with her because I'm seeing even more questions we didn't get to. But it was a really great uh, organic conversation, I think that you will laugh and smile and also be frightened and hopefully inspired. That's the main thing uh, we're hoping for. So I'm glad you're here. Um, I just said all this stuff about the dangers of the phone, but um, check me out on YouTube. (laughs) It's, uh, you know, Whatever. It's uh, it's it's hard to navigate, but I'm putting a bunch of stuff on YouTube. This podcast now is currently available on YouTube. You can go watch it if you're just listening to it right now. You can go watch it on YouTube. Perhaps you are watching it on YouTube. Um, but it's on my YouTube. Please subscribe to my YouTube. A lot of great stuff on there. Joe and Rana on Talk Movies is on there. Putting up some sketches. There'll be more of those to come. And um, I got some live dates coming up soon. I'll be at Side Splitters next month. in Tampa, and um, a few others coming up sparingly, sparingly. I don't know any words, but they're up there. But soon I'll be a lot smarter when I stop looking at my smartphone and start reading more. And I already read a ton, so don't push me around, folks. All right, I've gone off the rails again. Anyways, Please enjoy this conversation with Catherine Price, but not before I give you this quote. I'd like to give you a quote. And this is always creepy. I always talk about this. When you see quotes about technology that came out before smartphones, here's a quote that is, predates iPhones. It has become appallingly obvious that our technology has exceeded our humanity. Who said that, you ask? Albert Einstein on that folks all right enjoy this wonderful conversation with my new friend katherine price Okay, recording. I am here with, and with, I'm here with Catherine Price. And Catherine, I got to say, everyone that listens to this podcast has heard your name and about your book a lot. I talk about your book a lot. Um, I don't know if you've seen a skyrocket in sales or not, but I love the book and I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here. So welcome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. And I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you.
0: Yeah, me too. I got, I took notes like a real, Journalist person, um, and forgive me because it's been a while since I read the book, but um, it's it's on my mind and it's had a profound effect on me. Um, so I guess we'll just start with. I'm not an interviewer. I'm a comedian, and I'm used to talking to comedians. So I get really nervous when I'm talking to um, uh, professional types that aren't. I, I'm not
1: very professional, so don't worry about that. <laughs>
0: okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> well, so. My fans are comedy fans. They're comedy podcast fans. So they're naturally skeptical of everything. So maybe you could tell me them a little bit about yourself and how you came to be because we're going to talk about phones and they're going to be like, well, who the hell is this lady? What the hell does she know?
1: so justify my presence in other yeah, words
0: that's that's right yeah for okay. for them not for me
1: or like existentially because that's something i try to do myself a lot of the time um I'm but how, how did you
0: how did you come <laughs> to write a book about how to break up with your phone i guess is um
1: is the other line thank you because i could have gone way too deep you just like cut me off from like therapy session <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's no, what this I'm is a... all about <laughs>
1: i uh i'm a science journalist um which i'm just laughing at because it's not something i ever really thought i would be but i always wanted to be a writer and i got into writing about science um i think just because i'm a curious person and i like trying to understand things so i I didn't anticipate ever writing anything about technology it's not something i really inherently cared about Um, my previous book was about the history of vitamins actually but like everyone i got a smartphone and then in 2015 i had a baby And somewhere between the smartphone and the baby, I'd done a lot of stuff about mindfulness and the science of mindfulness and mindfulness-based meditation, just mindfulness in general, which I think helped me just become a bit more aware of my own actions and how they did or did not correspond to how I said I wanted to be living my life. So in 2015, I had a baby and... I had this moment where I was up late with her one night and I was feeding her. And I, (laughs) at the same time, my husband and I were involved in this big kitchen renovation project. And I was obsessed with finding architectural salvage details for our home. This is way too long of an answer. I apologize in advance for the fact that I just went down this route, but anyway, I was really into doorknobs. I really wanted to find cool old doorknobs for our house. But at the time when I was feeding my daughter, we had doorknobs, did not need any more doorknobs. But I had this moment when I realized I was looking at my phone, scrolling through eBay, still looking at doorknob listings as my infant daughter was looking up at me in the face with her little infant eyes. And I was like, this is messed up. I do not want my baby to be looking at me in the face. And I'm looking at freaking doorknobs on eBay and that was kind of this aha moment for me of existential despair which is a theme and just this awareness that if I kept down this track I was going to end up with like spending my life looking at like hinges and not actually experience anything and at that point not too many people were really thinking or talking about um, the issue of like our compulsive relationship with our smartphones so I read everything I could and it all was super depressing but nothing gave a plan. And so I decided to try to combine my background in mindfulness and my former job as a teacher and my work as a science journalist and my general desire to turn any per, you know personal issue I have into a professional project and put that together into writing a how-to guide that would combine science with an actual prescription for how we all can take back control of our devices. So that is the that was, story of how I came to write it.
0: No, that was perfect. That was like an amazing answer. And i mean it, it brings up so many topics i mean this is a topic that i love um talking about and cell phones and smartphones whatever um and social media and, and, the, and the toll it's taking on all of us because i need to be reminded like like a religion like i keep going back and anything like um tristan harris has been on i go back and like listen i've watched social dilemma a couple times because i need to be reminded and i read your book i can't remember what november i think and a lot of the changes that I made that have stuck and I'm still doing them and it's great, but I've watched my screen time slowly tick back up again. And I just went back and listened. I think I first heard you on Dan Harris's podcast. Does that sound right?
1: Yeah, probably. Um, I've been on his podcast a couple of times and yeah, I really like talking to him. He's very fun.
0: Yeah, he's, he's great. So I I heard you on there and I bought the book and read it and, um, I just listened to you this morning on Lori Santos's podcast, which I think that might've been a while ago. I'm not sure. But so I have all these things that I've jotted down about phones and the effects they're having. But that made me think what you said is I've had this thought of, you know, I picture myself on my deathbed and hopefully I'm hundred years old or whatever. And I just think there's no way I'm going to be like, man, I really wish I had been looking at my phone a lot more And I'm sure I'm going to think, I wish I looked at it less. And I think, I think it's your book and forgive me because I'm obsessed with this stuff, but I think your book had the, the stat, the average person looks at, and forgive me if this isn't in your book, the average person looks at their phone four hours a day. And if you look at your phone four hours a day, at the end of the year, it's 52 days out of the year. Does that sound familiar? Oh,
1: it's insane. So yeah, that's a stat. I mean, I had it in my book based on the the statistics for a moment, which is a time tracking app, which I actually like a lot better than Apple screen time for reasons. I can tell you if you're interested, but they, yeah, before the pandemic, the average just for phones was about four hours a day based on their user base. And I think at that point they had about 5 million downloads. Don't quote me on that. Um, although I'm saying that on a podcast, but it was several million data points on that. And what's crazy to me is that now it's far more and that's not counting all the time on our laptops and computers and televisions. And if you do on the math on that, yeah, it's almost 60 full days a year. It's about a quarter of our waking lives, the four hours a day. And when I did the math on 40 hours, I was like trying to figure out different ways to think about that number. If you do the math on like 40 hours, 40 hour work weeks, it's like 36 weeks or something. That can't be right. No, I think it, it's like nine months of 40 hour work weeks. If you you know say a week is forty hours, it's insane. It's like how do we possibly find that much time to stare at our phones, and then act like we don't have time to do any of our other hobbies or interests? And I and, you know I count myself in this too. It's not like I'm even now have like a perfect relationship with my phone, but it's just insane when you realize how much time we actually do have in our days that we're just spending staring at some equivalent of my you know habit with the doorknobs. Yeah, like it's no more absurd. Like doorknobs are absurd, but think, what are we looking at on Instagram? I mean, it's probably no less absurd.
0: Right. Yeah. So there's so many uh, places I want to jump off to, I think, but, and maybe this is the wrong place for this question, but it's the one that's fresh in my head now. And I, cause I listened to it this morning when you are talking to Lori Santos about, you've kind of been playing music a bit. Like, and, and that's something that reading your book, I, my, my wife has a guitar downstairs and I was taking mandolin lessons for a while and she had the guitar. So I picked that up during pandemic and I've been playing that. And I'm falling away from it because those old habits come back. The iPhone is so addictive. But that is something I started doing was picking up the guitar instead of um, the phone. So is that something you're still doing? Is it still working for you?
1: Yes, I, I love talking about music. Uh, and that, that's been one of the biggest benefits to me of changing my relationship with my phone so i can already tell i'm about to give you a long answer but please you know when when i was writing my book how to break up with your phone my husband and i were doing this practice which we still do try to do of taking 24-hour breaks from our phones from friday to saturday nights and in fact from all screens as a digital sabbath of sorts and it's a really interesting experience but once you start to not spend time on your phone um, you will have the risk of Again, this is a theme, existential despair, because you're going to realize, oh, my God, I don't actually know what I want to do with my time. And I had this moment on our couch um, where at that point my daughter was really small and she was taking a nap and my husband was out on an errand doing something. And I had this like hour of free time, which, as any parent would know, that should be your dream to have a whole hour on your own but I was in a period when I was like, I'm not looking at any screens. I have to think of something else to do with my time. And I, I had this moment of being like, oh my God, I actually don't know what to do. I mean, I like to think of myself as an interesting person or like a fun person, totally lost sight of it. And at that point I was researching how to break over your phone. And I had, I had recruited this group of people that helped me try out some ideas and um, things I was experimenting with. And I'd been asking them to ask themselves, what's something you always say you wanna do, but supposedly don't have time for. So I decided I should pose that question to myself. So I asked myself that question, and I was like, I always say I want to play, learn how to play guitar. And I have a guitar my grandmother you know, gave me money for during college, it's just been sitting in the closet like attracting you know, guilt. And <laughs> I play piano, I've played piano since I was about five. Like, why don't I just take guitar classes? This was pre-pandemic when you could see human beings. And so the next day, I, I had this like vague memory of seeing this flyer in my neighborhood for baby Beyonce music classes. And I was like, well, that's interesting just from the perspective of not having to listen to Wheels on the Bus again. And I found out there was this teacher who taught these kids classes with like modern, his name is Mr. John in Philadelphia, modern artists like Tom Petty or like, you know, Prince. And he did these kids music classes, but he also had this section on his website called adult fun. And so I, which sounds dirty now that I say that, um, (laughs) I guess it is in context. But anyway, so I clicked on that and it was like these BYOB adult guitar classes. And so the day after my crisis on the couch, I, I signed up for one of those classes and started going on Wednesday nights to this random studio in South Philadelphia. And it totally changed my life. Like it completely it really did change my life. And it ended up inspiring my new book, which actually is about fun, which um, is a direct offshoot of all this, you know, breaking up with my phone, trying to achieve what I call screen life balance in general, and then trying to figure out what to do with my newfound time, like have more fun in my life. And yeah, fast forward now, I guess it's been four years since that since I started those classes. And this guitar community has turned into a legitimate community. I've started a band with a couple of friends. We, wow. you know, play music together regularly. Even over the pandemic, we've been doing stuff over like a cappella and like making little music videos. And my music friends from this guitar class and I, we do open mics. I mean, it's to- so, you know, it's so lame to do music over Zoom if anyone's tried. It does not work, but we have stuck together. We do open mics and just Friday, this past Friday, I had this long-standing dream of <laughs> playing if anyone out there knows um, Benfold Five's album, Forever and Ever, Amen, and there's like the first song on that is a song called two, uh, One Angry Dwarf and 200 Solemn Faces. Okay. I don't know if that's offensive now. I think of it as an anti bullying anthem. Anyway, I learned how it's to do piano. It's not offensive
0: to my fans. That's your for fans. Sure. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah, not offensive. Yeah.
1: It's really satisfying. Can I curse?
0: Yeah, of course. Oh,
1: yeah. You get to yell bullshit really loudly. And like the chorus just has a line that goes, kiss my ass. And it's just so fun and i finally worked up the courage to play it and sing it at the same time on friday which is a long way of saying highly encourage people getting into music with their newfound time and one suggestion i always give to people that so helped me is that if you're trying to spend less time on your phone or in any habit you have to give yourself alternatives and make it easy to do those alternatives and this thing sounds so dumb but it's really effective if you're trying to like go back to the guitar or any instrument you got to leave your instrument out of its case just last night i was right. actually home alone and i was like I wanna play guitar, but it's in its case. I'd have to unzip it, and which <laughs> I did. And I had like a fun session anyway, but yes, music. Like I've actually started learning the drums too, which is really fun. And so I think that there's, you know, whatever it may be for many people, it might not be music, but all of us probably have something we used to enjoy or something we're vaguely curious about that we actually do have time for if we would only put down our goddamn phones.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I have this thing, though, what I do is like, I want to play guitar, I got to practice guitar. So I'll pick it up. And and you talk about this um, in the book and on the podcast that I've heard you on about like mindfulness. So I'll play guitar and I screw up. Obviously, I stink. I'm just learning. So I mess up a chord. I don't know it. And I go, God. And then immediately I go, let me look at my phone because I'm sitting there in this feeling of I'm a failure. I'll never be as good as I want to be. Uh, I should have done this when I was six instead of when I'm 38. Uh, I, you know, I do this with and I go down this, you know, pit of despair. And what <laughs> stops that for me is picking up. Let me look at Instagram because I might have a few likes and that'll make me feel better. And so that's a huge part of the phone. And that's what you talk about a lot is kind of being mindful of maybe I guess this is a good segue into your thing. Uh, WWW is it why yeah. you, you talk about because I'll butcher it.
1: <laughs> well sure for what for why what what watch me butcher my own thing what for why now what else um which I will explain I will say in, in the context of the guitar um, and the going into that spiral like please give yourself a break because I also think it's so funny that like we just expect ourselves to be good when of course we're not good at the beginning of course we suck because we've never done it before and yeah. you know like what I would do in your case is get Instagram off of your home screen or even off your phone, even just for a couple days. So you can't have that quick hit of dopamine and put like guitar tabs on your, you know, the app, like ultimate guitar on Mm -hmm. your home screen where Instagram used to be. So that when you, when you go to it out of your pit of despair, you actually encounter this positive trigger seriously, because I totally get why you would do that. It's like, you feel kind of frustrated. And at this point we're so unused to frustration. We're so conditioned to seek this really biochemical response that occurs when we get those stupid little pixelated hearts or your phone vibrates for some reason. Right. And you end up prioritizing that over just pushing through and like learning how to do an F chord, even though it sucks. So that's what I have to say about that. But (laughs) WWW is an exercise I came up with to try to help people um, really become more aware of why they're using their phone in the moment and give themselves another option. And I normally recommend doing it in conjunction with putting something around your phone. Like you can't, the idea is that you can't change a habit unless you know that you have a habit. You know, like you can't quit smoking if you don't know that you smoke and our phones are designed to be so attractive to us and to trigger such automatic responses in us that we often find our phones in our hands, but without even knowing how they got there and you look up and all of a sudden it's been 45 minutes that you could have been doing anything else with. And instead you were just scrolling through Instagram. So the first step is to notice that you did that. So I recommend putting something like a hair tie or a rubber band around your phone. And then when you pick up your phone and you encounter this physical obstacle and you're like, why the hell is there a a rubber band around my phone? That's the moment in which you can say, oh, I picked up my phone. I'm supposed to notice that I picked up my phone. It's a little speed bump. Then when you do that, you can move on to the next step which is this exercise that I call WWW which is where you ask yourself, what for? Like, what did I just pick up my phone for? What's my purpose? Do I even have a purpose? And in some cases you legitimately will, you'll be like, oh, I picked it up cause I wanted to text a friend or I wanted to buy something or I wanted to check something. And I really did want to do that. But a lot of times you'd be like, I don't really know. And then you move on to the next one, which is um, what, sorry, why now? And that's really what was the trigger that lent you, led you to pick up your phone in that moment. And the trick with that one is that it's often emotional. You know, it's often something like as you just described, frustration. Like you felt frustrated, you wanted a quick fix, quick hit of something, or you were bored, or you're anxious, or you were lonely. There's often something that your brain is seeking uh, relief from. And once you notice that, you can move on to the next step, which is the what else. And this is really the moment in which you take back control, because you're aware you picked up your phone, and you have some idea of why you did it and what your brain is after. So you say, what else? Like, what else could I do to get the same thing that my brain is after, but without just doing what i know i don't really want to be doing if you're feeling lonely could you call a friend if you're feeling frustrated by the guitar could you just take a break for a second and then come back to it you know maybe you decide that you don't want to do anything you just want to stare at a wall and give your brain a break and i as you said you've got a lot of comedians in the audience and i'm assuming creative people our brains can't come up with anything new if we're constantly stuffing them with idiotic shit so like you need to give your brain a break and then maybe you decide like, what's the, what else you actually did want to be looking at your phone right then. And that's totally fine. So the point is not to, you know, berate yourself or beat yourself up any more than you probably already do in your life, just because you looked at your phone It's just to make sure that when you do look at your phone, it's the result of a conscious decision and not just this automatic biochemical feedback loop. That's just essentially using you to make money for an app maker. Like if you want to spend all your time making money for Mark Zuckerberg, that's your business, but just make sure you actually are doing it because you want to be doing that.
0: Right. Okay. So this brings up a lot of questions again. And one of them is, and I'm sure you, you get this a lot or, or people ask you about it is, you know, I'm running my own business. I'm in entertainment. I, you know, content is king and all this stuff. And, So I do feel like I have to be on Instagram to some degree and Twitter to some degree, although I did delete Twitter, the app, uh, when I read your book. But now I just go on an Internet Explorer or whatever it is. But it is better because at least it's not as user friendly, I guess. But
1: you use Internet Explorer
0: or whatever comes on the phone. I don't know, whatever... I don't know oh, what don't it know. is. I think <laughs> it is, or maybe it's Safari. I don't know. Whatever this.
1: I Think Internet oh. Explorer was like 1994, like Microsoft Windows. <laughs> I'm,
0: a, I, I'm like, it's so funny because I'm addicted to my phone, but I'm also like an idiot with all this stuff. I'm pretty. I'm better than most. I feel like I've never been on. TikTok, I don't know what anything is, but I do stare at my phone a lot. Um, I feel whatever, like we're
1: going to spend that much time with it. You got to get its, you know, its app's <laughs> names right. It's only a sign of respect there.
0: <laughs> whatever. What's the compass? The little compass Safari. thing at the bottom. <laughs> Safari. Safari. That's
1: oh, it. I see your confusion. Explorer. You're like I am out in the wilderness of the internet.
0: I think in my head that's a little compass thing there. So.
1: <laughs> okay, fair enough. I rescind some of my obnoxious comment. Not no, all, but some of them.
0: <laughs> it's fair. Whatever. Uh, no, I'm still like pass me the uh nintendo controller or whatever this is a funny go
1: on a duck hunt
0: (laughs) this is a funny uh quick story this is where i'm at with video games technology i bought a ps4 like my my wife and i had like uh, an old school nintendo because we wanted to relive past glories and we've never really been video game people except when we were like seven and then i was like let's just buy a ps4 it was like a rainy day so i bought a playstation 4 And we played it that one day. We never use it again. So basically have like a $400 DVD player. But my friend came over and I was like, I never, one of the reasons I never use it because the cord is the, what do you call it? The the controller cord is way too short. It's just like, I have to move all my furniture. And he just started laughing. And he's like, that's a charger. It's wireless. So I didn't (laughs) use my PS4 for like seven months because I thought the cord was too short. And he's like, no, that's a charger. You can use it like, hundred yards away. So that's where I'm.
1: Are you like the smartphone? I don't understand what the big deal is. I can't move away from the outlet. <laughs>
0: it's like, yeah, I'm just, I'm plugged in. These cords are only like three feet long. So it's, it's interesting. Cause I'm kind of like, um, what, like computer illiterate in a weird way, but also addicted to my phone. Um, gotcha.
1: Sorry. I can, I interrupted you to be obnoxious, but you were saying that the for your job, you need to have some degree of connectivity. And now you just sneak around Twitter, through the back door.
0: Yeah. So w- what I was going to say is like, you know, there's times where, I'm, first of all, again, a lot of this is anxiety and and this is where mindfulness and meditation and therapy and all that baloney helps a lot. But I'll sit there and I'm like, I got to do something for my career. I got to make money, My, you know, whatever. And so I go, let me look at Instagram. Maybe I can come up with a post or a tweet. I'll look at some news stories and I'll come up with a joke and then I'll get a thousand retweets and everything will be great. So a lot of it is this like career anxiety is one of the reasons I'm looking at my phone. And also, on top of that, you talked about reaching out to friends. I'm a, I have a lot of friends. I keep a lot of friends. And I, I text about 20 to 25 people a day, uh, which feels good, essentially, in that it's social. Uh, I guess I'm going to throw about three different questions at you at once, I just realized. But um, when I text, this is one of my big problems. I'll text with a friend. And while I'm waiting for their text to come back, I start looking at Instagram because I'm like, well, I'm just sitting here waiting for them to respond. I guess one solution would be to call them on the phone. But my point is, and maybe I'm just justifying my addiction, but a lot of the times I am texting with people and we're people with common problem. we're all in recovery. So we're, we're from alcohol. So we're all like sharing really good solutions. It's all positive. But while I'm waiting for them to write back, I start looking at Instagram and, Twitter, but I have to be on my phone for that because that's how we communicate. So that's a big mess. I just gave, I just volleyed <laughs> over to you. We just
1: had a lot. Okay. Yeah. I think so. You're asking me what I think about that.
0: I don't. <laughs> I don't know if I'm asking you anything really. Okay. okay. Um,
1: no, no, no. I think that. Um. Well, okay. Well, the social media career thing is something I struggle with myself. If you happen to look me up on social media, you see, you'll see I don't really have very many followers, and I'm like, because I just don't care about social media. But then I'm an author, so my agent's like, well. supposed to do that and i'm like but what do i have to say like i don't i don't want to say anything like i i love talking to people but i just don't really want to turn my life into a performance anyway so i struggle with that but i think i would say that like i i have have many thoughts i have many thoughts about this one is that it makes sense that you know as a performer and a public persona you would have to have some degree of visibility on these networks but how much right like i i've talked to and worked with I mean obviously I've had conversations with lots and lots of other journalists because of this book whenever people interview me it's normally someone who's a journalist and they're all like my including Dan Harris as you mentioned earlier it's like my job is to be up on the news like how can I not be up on the news and I think my point being like if those people can like Dan Harris deleted Twitter for, for a while I don't know what he does now but he deleted it and he, he would just reinstall it when he needed it but I feel like if they can get off of news apps or off of Twitter, then the rest of us can probably do that too. So I think what I would say is that it probably is helpful to take a bigger step back and say, all right, for my career, I do need some degree of public visibility because that is my career. And I do need to keep people engaged because that's just unfortunately what what life is right now. But at the same time, like you got to protect your creativity and you got to protect your brain because you need to come up with new jokes. And... I at least think, I mean, I'm a huge fan of, of comedy and comedians, and I feel like you got to have experiences, right? I mean, like, you can't just come up with jokes based purely off of a Twitter feed. The best stories and the best comedy comes from lived experiences. And so in a way, it's, it's any moment you're spending just on your phone looking at social media content is the time you're not out there doing something ridiculous or just observing weird things in the world that might provide fodder for a joke that no one else has thought of because everyone else is just staring down at their phones. So I think that there's a real reason for people in your field in particular to be very careful about the boundaries. I also think, you know, it does seem like a lot of comedians are really anxious. I can say that as a, you know, anxiety, anxious person, often myself, and the phones are designed to really abuse us because you just want to keep checking. I had another thought to say about the, shoot, what did you say? Oh, about the thing with texting your friends. I think that texting for me personally, I feel like that's my biggest issue right now because it's exactly what you say. It's like, well, I'm connecting with a real person, you know, like on my phone just to explain what I've got going on right now with my phone. Like I, I, I'm not big into social media, as I said, so I don't have any social media apps on my phone. I don't have the news on my phone. I totally sneak around and use the browser to get there, but I don't have the app because it's too easy I don't have games and I don't have, what would be the other email? I don't have email on my phone. Like, again, I sneak around, I go to the browser and I look at my email occasionally, but I just try to make it as hard as possible to engage in things I know could be problematic for me. And then I try to make it as easy as possible to engage with things I know I want to be doing, such as, you know, guitar or... I don't know, like when I used to try to meditate more, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but I think with texting, the trick is it said it is a person, it's like a friend. And so you're having this back and forth. But as you said, there's these gaps. And also, it's so annoying to type with your thumbs. So yes. if you're like me, it's like you want to banter with someone, but then you're like thumb bantering. And so you're like, banter, banter, delete, 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 delete you know, <laughs> did it. And then Siri auto corrects you're like, you can't say, you try to spell it fuck. And she always makes it duck. And you're like, I didn't say duck. Yes. I never mean duck.
0: Yes. Ducking. Yeah.
1: Ducking. Ducking. You know. So, anyway, all that is to say, I get what you're saying. That you end up with these little pockets of time where then you're like, "Well, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to Instagram." And it reminds me of um, a phrase I first heard in the book "Time Smart" by this time management expert named Ashley Willens, who wrote this well book called "Time Smart," and she talks about time confetti. And about yeah. how the phones really have a way of, of, of fracturing our leisure time into these tiny bits and pieces. So say you've got an hour of supposed leisure and you're going to read a book, you're going to play your mandolin, you're going to do whatever, but then you get like a text and now you turn your attention away. And for 30 seconds, you write back with the text. But then while you're re- waiting for the text response, you go on to Twitter for another minute and you are about to turn back to the mandolin, but then you get a response from your friend. You start to break your time apart into these meaningless little pieces. So the cumulative effect is even worse than just the time you spent on the social media app, which is like the biggest waste of time. All that is to say, I feel like texting is really hard, but there are ways to create better boundaries with social media by asking your purpose about that. And then in terms of connecting with friends, like during the pandemic in particular, I've really tried to increase the number of people whom I can just call, which seems so weird, you know, just calling someone like picking up the phone and using it as a phone and just hearing another person's voice. But I've discovered that that it's really amazing. <laughs> I keep yeah. being like, do people know these things can be used to call human beings? So I think that like, it's an ongoing challenge with the texting. But I do think that, that if you ask yourself, what's the most satisfying form of human inter- interaction? Like if you and I were doing this interview over text, it really wouldn't be that fun. It's so much more fun to get to talk to you as a human being. So I think trying to create a hierarchy of human connection and prioritize the form that feels the best to you And then try not to do quite so much. I mean, at least in my case, it involves my thumbs because it's just not like I don't have fun with my thumbs. I didn't really (laughs) answer your question or if it was a question. I'm just now we're just talking.
0: (laughs) No, it was great. I mean, there was a lot in there. I mean, the time confetti thing is great and it's a great point. And sometimes, yeah, I do think we we as a species think like texting is good because I can I'll text and then it won't be a big if I call, it'll be all day. I'll be on the phone for a half hour. They never shut up. I'll just shoot a text and whatever but it, it never goes that way you never just text and then start making lunch because you go oh your phone lights up you run over there and so that time confetti is such a great uh, way to put it and i have been making more phone calls which now i feels like i'm defending myself i'm like no 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 i i have <laughs> been making um more phone calls um i thought of two two things while you were talking oh well one was uh talking about material your book uh, gave me a bunch of material. I wrote. I have a bunch of jokes. So now, when I do a set, I mention your book because it leads what? into. Well, it led me to the Moment app, and one of the jokes is one of the things that the app does is it tells you how many times you pick up your phone. But I'm like, which seems like it would be helpful, but it really it just makes me feel like a piece of shit. I'm just like 120 times, and the joke is there should be repercussions. Like if you pick up, we need an app. We pick up your phone a hundred times. You know, it sends a, a nude to your mother, you know, and I'm like, oh my god, I'm at I'm at ninety-nine. I don't want to sexually harass my mother, but you know, I got a I got a good tweet going. So that's that bit. And
1: wow, that that could be disastrous. That's uh, it, I love that 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 should be an app. Like
0: it's not bad, right? I mean, an app.
1: Yeah, you need passive income. Make
0: maybe it. not an it doesn't have to be a nude to your mother you know just what?
1: I know the guy who's in one of the people in charge of moment. I'm supposed to have a call with him. I'm gonna mention this. I'm gonna be like, Please. Hey Tim, guess what? Get met this guy, Joe, you guys. Got to connect you. He's yeah. got some great picks. You can use.
0: <laughs> <laughs> please, please do. Um, and then the other was this stat in your book also about. Um, oh, shoot, I'm losing it. I already did the 52 days a year. Oh, did you have this in your book? I think it was in your book. God, forgive me if I'm wrong. I feel like I'm going to be so deeply
1: offended if you <laughs> quote a statistic that
0: I, No, it, it I, wasn't a statistic, it was a tip to write waste of time on a piece of paper and then take a photo and make it your background of your phone <laughs> was that I you I didn't
1: suggest waste of time i suggested um i think i did what for why now what else or just maybe i did i don't think i said waste of time in particular but it, no it was creating folders that said things like waste of time or like you're going to die or you know things <sighs> like that something that really spoke to you so i don't know if you're conflating that was something else, but I, I like that tip, even if it's not actually the one I wrote about.
0: It might have been, I think it was about that, because I was when I was reading your um, book, but it doesn't matter. I'm taking artistic license with um, your, your thoughts. <laughs> it's,
1: it's your emotional truth, as my husband likes to say.
0: Yeah. But I mean, that's your, now I'm just doing bits for you, but. Um, <laughs> But the joke is, I, you know, I, I did it and that exercise was a waste of time because it never works. And the other thing, the other part of the joke was, you know, that's good for breaking up with your phone, but you can't do that with a person. You can't be like, honey, could you wear this T-shirt all day? Um, and the T-shirt says "Waste of Time" on it. But anyway, <laughs>
1: should though. Wait, this is making me have so many ideas. I'm aware this is like public, but I'm working on a. So I've got. I, I started this thing called Screen Life Balance and ScreenLifeBalance.com, and I started making courses and products to like support people's, you know, journeys, whatever, towards better boundaries. And one thing I'm working on right now is doing a text message based intervention to help people break up with their phones, where the messages come from the phone. So it's like, you know, it's not me. It's it's not you. It's me. Right. Like we need right. to talk. I just feel like, isn't there a way to do like a mashup of like an actual comedian and the concept of breaking up? We should
0: discuss. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll talk. We'll get to the bottom of this. Yeah, I think you there's know, some we'll good... S- yeah.
1: Solve the problems there. But um, what was I going to say? You mentioned it reminded me of something with the idea of sending... Oh! Uh, about sending your mother nude pictures of yourself. It's not about that directly. <laughs> but there is this weird product that someone told me about called Pavlov. You know, like Pavlov's dogs drooling in, in anticipation of the food, whatever, but it's a bracelet you can put on your wrist and you set a habit for yourself. And then every time you break your own habit or your own intention, you I think you have to do it yourself, unfortunately, but you hit a button and you shock yourself.
0: Oh, geez. That sounds, <laughs> it's like a
1: little electrocution bracelet.
0: Yeah, that sounds like there's got to be better ways. I really think mindfulness and um, some small exercises could be better than that. Right. But one, one thing, I definitely got this from your book. Uh, you know, I should have reread the book. It's obvious. It's um, it's becoming obvious. But, um, <laughs> but one thing I started doing and has actually stuck is I put my phone in the other room when it's time for bed, so I don't have it in my bedroom. Uh, I mean, I'm in my bedroom now and I have it. But when I'm going to sleep, I don't look at it, and I put it to, put it away around ten o'clock or whatever. So I'm not looking at the last few hours of the night, and I don't look at it first thing in the morning. And that's been really helpful. And I had to get a little sleep noise machine because I have tinnitus and that that app was on the phone and I got a little old school alarm clock. I don't know why I'm touching them as though.
1: I appreciate it. I I guess your listeners can't see that, but he's touching a lot of things in the background.
0: You can hear the noise there. So I got an alarm clock and it's fine because you have to start replacing all these things that the phone has taken the place of. So that's something that's a habit I've Kept and has really um, helped me first thing in the morning and at night also, and so that it's is re- it's a really thing you helpful.
1: Yeah, personally, I found that to be one of the biggest changes for me. So much so that then it's always surprising me to realize that no, most people most people sleep with their phones not just I mean you know within arm's reach of them right. and they use the phone as the alarm clock, which makes sense because it seems so convenient, but. You know, as I point out in the book, if you have to silence an alarm clock, what do you do? You have to touch the alarm. So if your alarm clocks your phone, you're guaranteeing that the first thing you're going to touch and interact with in the morning is your phone. And when you do that, of course, there's going to be notifications. I mean, even if you take the step, which everyone should, of minimizing your notifications, going to be something there, or your just inherent curiosity or conditioned response to your phone is going to cause you to open some app, and you're going to spend at least 10 to 15 minutes absolutely first thing in the morning looking at your phone, actually, and this reminds me of something you brought up earlier in terms of looking through social media and trying to find material or whatever. But one thing I've been trying to do myself is I I read the book, or at least (laughs) I read the first chapter of the book, The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron, where she talks about writing morning pages, which is the idea is like the first thing in the morning when you wake up, you just write three pages in your journal and you don't look back at it for, I I actually don't know how long you're not supposed to look back at it because I didn't get that far in the book. So I've never looked back on it, but you write for three pages without stopping first thing in the morning. And um, as you know, I just turned into a draft of my book about fun. So when I was doing that, I had like no time to to write morning pages because I was just in a state of panic for like <laughs> seven months. But now I have a bit more time, so I've been doing these morning pages, and and it's just such a great practice. I think for anyone who's creative. Again, I'm assuming everyone who listens to your podcast to just capture the weird stuff your brain comes up with and to do it first thing in the morning. And then even if you spend the rest of the day on Instagram, you will have actually written something. Like I'm I'm <laughs> I'm running about a lot of weird ideas because I actually really love writing personal essays. And it's something I haven't gotten to do a lot because I've been doing this other stuff. But it's been so interesting to feel that part of me come back alive and to start to want to write about things that are not related to technology or not related to just service pieces, but actually to write my own version of i mean i would never be a stand-up comedian but to write essays about things that i find amusing and then enjoy writing j- right. very interesting concept to enjoy the thing that you uh you chose your career because you supposedly enjoy it but then your career makes you hate it sometimes and so you're like why did i like that and then you find a way back and anyway all that is to say everyone should put down their phones get an alarm clock get a watch and get a journal put the journal on your bedside table where the phone used to be and then write three pages every morning that would be yeah. awesome
0: Yeah, I I love that idea. And um, I remember my friend on an episode of this podcast earlier during pandemic, I think he I don't know where he read it. But, you know, as human beings, we have formative years as from zero to seven. I think it is. And somebody said, I don't know, even know who I'm quoting, uh, but we have formative minutes in a day like you have that for a day. And so the first whatever half hour, hour of your day sort of uh, helps form. That day, So to immediately look at the news and Instagram and Twitter and all this stuff, it's much better to put that off for an hour or so. And I have a strange thing because I meditate every morning. That's how it's the first thing I do. But I've found the best tool for my meditation is um, Sam Harris's Wake, different Harris. A lot of Harris's. That's the third Harris we've had. Tristan, Sam and Dan. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, and Sam and Dan are brothers, right?
0: I don't think so. I don't think think they're related. related. Aren't they related? I think they're not related.
1: Oh boy, this but, is the part where both of us really want to use Google right now, but we're not going to. Um, that.
0: Yeah, I could be wrong, but I think I think I remember reading no relation.
1: I'm like eighty three percent sure they're related. Okay, we're going to check this. i are going to put it in your
0: show notes. I'm going to say I'm seventy five percent sure they're not related.
1: Oh geez, okay.
0: So, But you have a higher percentage. I don't know. <laughs> you have, you're, you're up by eight points here. Um, well, I love both of them very much. I don't know either of them personally, although I have interacted with Sam a little bit. But none of that's neither here nor there. But the best meditation tool I've found is Sam's app. They both have meditation apps.
1: Um, I mean, it does seem weird that they'd be related and they wouldn't like talk. to. But I feel like they're related. I'm
0: they've like, been. They were on Joe Rogan together. At one point
1: oh well your percentage is getting higher by the with every comment here mine's going down yeah
0: and sam harris's waist size is 32 i know that um dan's a nine and a half shoe um but anyways my point is that the sam's app um meditation app is on the phone so i do wake up i do some stretching and whatever i do a couple things but then i go and use his meditation app which is on the phone and it is a battle to not immediately finish the app and I'm holding the phone but I've done okay with just the self-will to not immediately go into Instagram and stuff Um, I wonder
1: if like a solution to that in turn because I I think habit change is so interesting is to prime yourself with another habit that you're going to do right afterwards that feels like a reward like you do your meditation and you get to have your coffee or your whatever or like something you actually enjoy so that it's right. like okay i know what i'm going to do next so i don't have this moment i think the fewer decisions you have to make in moments like that the better you're like i don't have to choose what i'm going to do next i know what i do next i put down my phone and i go and do that other thing well i could I, go
0: do the pages the pages could be it
1: yeah you could that oh look at that We like really, um, changing the world here but i think yeah. that also what you were saying about the formative minutes it reminds me of another expression that I probably was in that same book or um Yeah, but it's polluted time. The idea that you're going to pollute your time if you wake up first thing in the morning and you're just going to fill your head with whatever is in your news app or your email inbox or your social media feed. Like your time is precious and your attention is your most valuable resource. And I don't think we really, really, I don't know, internalize that enough. Like you only get 24 hours in a day and you only get a certain amount of time in your life. And so you can't get it back, especially your attention. You spend your attention on one thing. You can't spend it on anything else. And it's not like money, like money. Sure. You don't want to lose it. You don't want someone to steal it from you, but you always could make it back, but you right. can't get your time and attention back. It's, right. it's extremely profound. And I think that was something that, you know, mindfulness helped me realize. And it's one of the reasons that I was just, I don't know, I guess maybe part of the reason that even though it's almost six years since I started thinking about writing, what became how to break up with your phone, I'm still fascinated by this and driven by it and continue to have my own life changed by it every day is that once you start reevaluating your relationship with this little like metal rectangle. You just realize that, you know, this is all about what's important to you in life. Like, how are you going to live your life? You can choose to or be manipulated into spending it all just staring at a screen, having your time and attention taken by companies that profit from it or by people that you don't know in life who don't care about you. Or you can make a conscious decision to fight back against that and put it down and do things that you actually care about. And I'm certainly not anti-technology. You know, I'm very grateful for technology. I use it all the time and I wouldn't want to be without it. But uh, it's made such a difference in my own life and my experiences and my relationships You know, with my friends, with my family, with my husband, with our daughter, to be more mindful about how I interact with my phone.
0: Right. I... I... This time, I'm, I'm almost 100% sure this was in your book about, you know, all these people worried about like Big Brother and the government watching us. And then we all volunteer all this stuff to Facebook and to social media. And I think you wrote in the book, like, imagine if the government was asking us these questions. If they said, hey, we need to know all your favorite movies. We need to know your plans for the weekend and uh, tell us where you're going to be. Tell us where you are right now. We would look at it a lot differently. I thought that was an interesting way of sort of putting that.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's something we still don't think about as much as we should. And and for me personally, that's one area where I've gotten even more freaked out since writing How to Break Up With Your Phone because the metadata that's shared, it's not just what you choose to post on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. That's not really the valuable stuff from the point of view of these app makers. It's how you interacted with the app. It's what you did before and after going to the app. I mean, these apps follow us around the web. They know what you looked at next. They know how much time you spent down to the millisecond of a particular post. They know what you bought like 17 clicks later. In many cases, you know, Facebook even has, uh, they supposedly stopped buying this. I don't know if I believe that, but uh, information on on brick and mortar purchases that people had. So they basically had access to like any purchase you ever made with a credit card. And what they do with that information is to feed it into their algorithm, which is a program designed to decide what content to show you, you know, what ads to show you. And at first glance, it might seem like, well, that's not such a big deal, whatever. So it showed me a pair of shoes, and maybe I wanted a pair of shoes, or, you know, okay, maybe I was creeped out, you know, that thing where like you're talking with a friend about something and you don't actually search for it, and then it shows up in your feed, and you're like, how the hell did it know that? Was it eavesdropping? No, it wasn't eavesdropping. It's because the out, probably, it's because it knows so much about you, it can actually predict what you will be interested in sooner than you can predict it. That's creepy, but what I've come to realize, the truly upsetting thing about that is something that um, Jaron Lanier, the tech guy, he was in The Social Dilemma, and he wrote a book called 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. And he talks about our phones as actually behavioral modification devices, where if you're constantly being served choices by algorithms based on what it predicts you might be interested in, eventually you're going to start making some of those choices, not because you instinctively wanted that, but because the algorithm chose it for you and you were kind of just... Not really you know, just I don't know it brings up questions of free will. You start to make these decisions based on what other people are presenting you, and then never questioning what's the point what's the goal of the people designing these algorithms? And it might not be nefarious. I'm not saying that like Facebook and Instagram want you to want to radicalize you or want to make you waste your life, but they're certainly not designing their algorithms to help you live a meaningful existence or to help you become a more creative, interesting person. They're trying to sell you something or get you to behave in a certain way. And they're really, really good at it. And I think we're beginning to see some of the effects with some of the societal issues we're having now but um but that's really like creep me out to be like oh my god yeah the sum of all of our decisions even the micro decisions we make in a day that and i'm paraphrasing someone else but that adds up to our lives like this is a big deal
0: right yeah no it gets um really freaky and it does feel like the main like so many things i guess but the main source of changing it will be our own decisions and not you know, it's hard to just rely on the government stepping in and saying, "Hey, wait, you can't," and that gets tricky, anyways. How how that works? So it feels like it does start with us as individuals going, "You know what? I'm not gonna have my phone in my bedroom at night and in the morning, more so than um, whatever's gonna happen with uh, a Senate hearing with Mark Zuckerberg. It's just, it's it's better for us to delete and go. I, I don't want to spend my life this way."
1: Yeah. I think it has to be a combination. I think it's so hard because these, I mean, now we're getting into much broader issues, but the companies have become so powerful that it's like, if you're a business, you kind of have to be on Facebook. Like I deleted my personal Facebook account, you know, and then I've since found out about some events or organizations I would be interested in learning about, but I don't want to be on Facebook because I don't like Facebook. And I just don't want that to be part of my life, but I'm missing out on stuff because that's, you know, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, all the same company, that's a major (laughs) dominant, most social media. Right. So I think it's really tricky. I think we all as individuals do need to evaluate our own choices and and structure our lives around our own interests and priorities instead of just letting these companies and their algorithms Mm -hmm. cause us to drift away from our actual values and desires. But at the same time, we should be paying more attention to some of the potential regulatory stuff or the potential consumer pressure could, could be put on these companies to not collect as much metadata or not to be able to sell all of this data about us. I mean, it's truly insane. And you can start to see it where like, there was just a piece in the New York Times about being able to track all of this cell phone data and, and I mean, all the stuff from the January 6th incident mm-hmm. that you can track people down by their phones, very easily to who they were, not because the phone's linked to your name, but just because of these supposedly anonymous identifiers that are not anonymous at all. If you put like three pieces of information together, I know, I think there's, there's many levels that should be concerning to us all. And the easiest thing to change is our own habits, which is not to say it's easy, but that is the place to start. But I also would encourage everyone to just, you know, pay attention when there are news stories about this stuff, because it actually is a really big deal
0: right yeah, so no,
1: serious here
0: <laughs> no i know i know i'm gonna make it more serious in some ways but we can also make it fun um but so, one thing i did want to uh ask you about as i look at my notes here but you mentioned you have a you had a baby or who's now a toddler i guess and i was just with my nephew who's 12 about to be 13 and i'm always on him because he's on tiktok all the time and we looked at his phone time is 10 hours a day and he's uh you know a kid which you know, it's not his fault. It's, you know, he's a child and it's addictive and whatever else is at at play there. Um, It's hard for me to blame any child for anything they're really doing. But um, what, and I think, I I can't remember where I heard it, but you know Bill Gates and um, Mark Zuckerberg, or no Mark Zuckerberg. Who's the other big guy? Steve Jobs. Steve maybe. Jobs. Was, yeah. Like, didn't allow their kids to use their um, iPhone and how? Again, I'm I'm going to throw like just a huge question at you, or a broad question. <laughs> I can just, feel this is getting
1: big. Okay. Uh huh. <laughs> how do uh,
0: how do we handle that? How do you do? I mean, like, I guess I can ask what's your intention with your own child, but in general how much harder is it going to be for that generation? I assume you're nearish my age. I assume, you know, smartphones came in to life, at least when you were a teenager or later, not smartphones, but um, the internet in general. But how how do you handle a generation that has only grown up with this? I mean, to be 12 and already on your phone 12 hours a day or 10 hours a day. And again, I know this is a huge thing to just volley back at you. So I guess do with it what you uh, feel here.
1: Well, I'm shaking my head sadly (laughs) and with concern. I mean, I'm hugely concerned about it. And I'm should. i going to preface this by a little like disclaimer. This is not meant to be judgy of parents. People are too judgy of each other when it comes to parenting stuff. Um, But so I'll speak from personal experience and perspective though. I think that it's really concerning um our phones are changing our brains adult brains the adult brain changes it's plastic um physically like it can physically change in response to stimulation like it, they've done studies with you know london cab drivers studying for this crazy navigation test that's so complex it's just called the knowledge like comp, you know capitalized knowledge and they've studied their brains and the cab drivers that study for and pass the knowledge have a different structure in their hippocampi than the people who didn't. I mean, it causes physical changes in our brains and causes huge damage to our attention span, our our ability to focus, our ability to think and be creative. That's adult brains. And when you think about children's brains that are still developing, I'm terrified by that. I'm terrified by the, World, my daughter is going to grow up into. I don't want her to have a smartphone anytime soon. Again, I'm not. It's not because I think technology is inherently evil. I really don't. But I think this is similar to. I don't know. There, there's an analogy that it's like a car, right? Like your kid's going to learn to drive a car eventually, but you're not just going to want, not just going to throw them into a car when they're five years old and have right, them driving right. around on the highway. You're going to wait until they're appro- appropriate age, and then when they start to use it you would teach them about seatbelts and you will teach them how to steer and you will like go through all these steps to make sure they can responsibly navigate a road. I think part of the problem is that adults can't responsibly navigate our relationships with our devices. Like look around. Adults are texting while they're driving. I mean, like we're doing things that are objectively so dumb. And I'd be interested in your perspective as you were saying you're in recovery. Like I've got a friend I actually spoke to as I was working on my book who um, was in a similar situation. And I was like, you know, does this, w- what are the analogies because right now the word addiction is not technically correct to talk about with our phones because it hasn't been recognized by the American Psychiatric Association. But to me, it's a matter of time. Like, gambling was just cons- the first ever behavioral addiction to be classified as such. And in the same, same volume of the DSM, the manual that they use to diagnose, you know, um, psychiatric disorders, they had internet gaming as a one that required future study, but that was in like 2010 or 2013. I can't remember exactly 2013. I think that that latest thing came out and I'm like, so if we are eventually going to call this a tr- like an addictive substance, a behavioral, potential behavioral addiction. What do you mean we're giving it to kids when they're like five years old or giving kids smartphones when they're nine years old? Why do they need access to the whole internet? I understand that parents want to have a way to be in touch with their kids and know where they are. I mean, that's a separate issue about like constant surveillance, but I get that. But shouldn't we be thinking a bit more before we give them the whole internet and social media is horrible. I mean, the increase in anxiety and depression and among all of us, honestly, but teenagers in particular, in particular teenage girls increases in suicidal ideation increases in like downright suicide, nearly impossible to prove a definitive causal link between social media and these increases, but it's also pretty hard to claim that there's no correlation between these That that is highly suspicious. You know, there was, there was an article a couple of years ago in the Atlantic by Jean Twenge that was called, have smartphones destroyed a generation? Right. And then she wrote a book called iGen, um, short for internet generation. And in the article and the book, she's got these charts of various things that she's observed among teenagers in terms of their psychological health. And it's just crazy to realize that, well, on the one hand teenagers today are actually a lot physically safer. Like they're not drinking as much. They're not having sex early. They're not like driving because they're just home alone on their phones, Right. <laughs> but they're physically safer, but emotionally they're like, I mean, like all of us, honestly, they are a mess, a total mess. And the one graph that really stood out to me was one for loneliness among eighth to, I think it was eighth to 12th graders. And you see this huge spike starting around 2010. And again like correlation is not causation but that's around the time that instagram came out and it's insane it just looks like a i mean like a roller coaster going up it's anyway i'm hugely concerned and i think that in my better days i'm like okay well there are you know i hear from a lot of people because of how to break up with your phone and i hear from a lot of teenagers and i know there's a lot of teenagers who are legitimately worried about this who seem to have a lot more awareness of this issue than their parents and that gives me some hope. There's an organization called Look Up Live that's like run by teenagers and it's trying to bring awareness to some of these things. And, um, and I try to tell myself, like, the more I can do to, to spread the word about this. And, you know, I do a lot of talks at schools during non-pandemic times to try to get people to think about it. Then maybe I can make a difference, you know, but I, I think it's something we all really need to be thinking about more seriously, because it's not just about I mean, it's about everything. It's like how kids learn to socialize. It's how they learn to perceive themselves. Like turning life into a performance is really messed up. That's not a satisfying way to live. And I think it's affecting brain development. And, you know, just the other day I was reading some book, um, maybe it was Beginners by Tom Vanderbilt, which if you haven't read, I feel like you'd really enjoy and you should try to get him on your show. It's about the joy of being an adult beginner.
0: Oh, I'll check that out for sure.
1: Yeah. And so he or someone I was reading was talking about, I don't know, you read these books and there's always like talking about these scientists in like 1850 who were just they all seem like they were geniuses, like all the experiments they did and all the things they were trying out. They're like, how are there so many geniuses? And then you think maybe they weren't geniuses. Maybe they just didn't have Instagram. Right. You know, Maybe it's just like they had the time to become a classical pianist and also study physics and also it's like Benjamin Franklin. How do you have some? It's good. They weren't wasting their time on these meaningless things. All that is to say, I just worry about having future generations that never had the time to be bored and never really really had the the time and the perseverance to like really dive into stuff um, right. instead of just kind of skirting superficially and having a life dream of being a, a YouTube star right You know, like it's great if you're a YouTube star and you're a legitimately interesting person you know like I'm really a fan of like Mark Rober for example like fascinating guy really fun But just the performative shallow stuff, it just makes me so sad. So that's my rant on that. I don't know. Maybe we can (laughs) talk in 10 years, but then I'll probably just be depressed.
0: No. So, okay. So there was a lot there, um, obviously. And I also want to be mindful of your uh, time here, but I would say, A, you're definitely making a difference. Um, It's great. You've made a difference in my life uh, with, with the book. So, and the fact that you're been talking about this in so many different places and, and the book is out there it's great and it's it's making people more aware and i do think there is like this as much as we're addicted and out of control it does feel like there's i hear way more people talking about how they're trying to work on their phones and i have friends that got flip phones or they're saying things like this i deleted this app so it is more um conscious people are more conscious of it conscience and con- conscious. conscious. I conscious. guess both of those words work. <laughs> They're um, developing
1: a conscience consciousness. Conscious. Con- yeah. Yeah. I think we mostly want conscious, but yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So there's that. And also, I think probably your own child will deal with it less because of growing up in a house where it's not uh, as prevalent because you're working on it, you know, be the change you want to see and all that fun stuff. Um, shit. I thought there was one other thing that was going to be great uh, i had so many points i can't retain all of them probably because i look at my phone too much
1: <laughs> well no I, I you made me think of a point i wanted to say which is that one of the things i want to write about in terms of kids is that so, so as i said my previous book was about vitamins and part of i mean that was oh my god that was like a, a three years of immersion and something like i learned way more about random things than i intended to which i guess is good but i learned a lot about patent medicines and there was this thing in the um eight, actually turn of the 20th century called Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup. And it was one of these soothing, there were a lot of them, soothing syrups, which were meant to soothe colicky kids, so babies that were crying a lot. And it worked wonders. It was an amazing product. And there was just like one little problem with it, which is that it had morphine in it. And a lot of kids died as a result of Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup. But a lot of kids that didn't die, like went on to have opioid addictions as babies because their parents were trying to get them shut to shut up with a drug. And when I thought about that in the context of phones. And then, you know, back when, again, we were traveling and there was human interaction and I would be in airports and I would just see like little babies, little babies with like iPad holders in their strollers. And I'd be like, dude, you're giving your kid a drug. That is the same thing. You were shutting them up with technology as an opiate. And that is exactly the same as Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup. And I actually did go on eBay, bringing this back to the eBay thing, (laughs) but with a purpose and I found an antique bottle of Mrs. Winslow's soothing syrup and I bought it and I actually have it in my house, in my kitchen and I, and I use it like, I'd love to, you know, bring it with me if I give talks in person ever again, but I have it there as a reminder. That's like, no, like this is a really powerful tool. This, this is a drug. We have to be really careful about how we're using it and not just think it's totally fine. I apologize to all the parents out there who are in the midst of pandemic parenting in particular, sorry, that's my insulin pump. That was not my phone that beeped. Oh, okay. um, but you know, who are panicking about screens in the pandemic, I don't mean to be doing that, but, but I do think that in general, we do need to be just so much more mindful about how we're using these devices with kids and, and think like, am I using it as a drug? Cause then I really need to be careful.
0: Yeah. And, and, and we got to wrap up here in a second. We'll, we'll wrap up with some hope, but that's, I thought yeah, of what I was going to say. <laughs> I thought of what I was going to say is you talked about, you know, I'm in recovery and your friend and, and um, with the phone, and I've had this conversation before where I'm trying to cut back on the phone. And that's, what's interesting about it is with alcohol, you get to a point to get sober. You have to cut out alcohol a hundred percent. There's not like I'm like, maybe I'll get a flip phone and only use my iPhone. And that's the equivalent of what you do when you have a drinking problem. You go, well, I'll just drink wine or I'll just drink on weekends. I want no more shots. And that's essentially what goes on with the phone. Like I said, like I read your book and I had my phone time under 90 minutes some of the, sometimes a day. And now it's slowly crept back up into two and a half, two forty-five. And I'm like, I'm still down an hour from where I was before I read your book, but it starts to come back up. And that's where it gets really tricky as an addiction. And it's like that with food addiction. You know, I I struggle with I never I've never struggled with weight. And I I always say this, people People never want to people with like weight problems never want to hear skinny people talk about their food problems. <laughs> um, but I have a I have it's just a horrible diet. I have I'm lucky to have a great metabolism and I do exercise a lot. But I eat complete shit, which is still unhealthy, even if you're not overweight. And so I, I understand the food addiction is hard because you do have to eat. And it makes you know, eating well so much harder. And that's how I feel about the phone. It makes it so much harder to quit because at some point I do need a phone. Well, Um, that's
1: an interesting, you know, I do think about that a lot. I'm like, and the the exact analogy you're using, it's like, well, if you're an alcoholic and you're like going to keep beer in your fridge, well, that's not a great way to support not drinking, you know, or if you're trying to quit smoking and you've got cigarettes in your pocket, cigarettes, I don't know why I said it that way, cigarettes (laughs) in your pocket. (laughs) It's not going to work. But as you were talking, it made me think of maybe a more useful analogy. I mean, sorry, not that that's not a useful analogy. I think that's the whole challenge, right? Is like you are, you have an addictive substance in our, we have it in our pockets And addiction psychiatrists talk about ease of access, like it is easily accessible and it's a real problem. What I was thinking when you were talking, though, is I wonder if there's a more nuanced way that would be helpful for all of us to think about it, which is that it's not the phone per se, right? Like that's the device. It's the apps on the phone. Just right. as when you have a drinking problem or a food problem or whatever. It's not the fact that you have a refrigerator that's the problem. It's what's in the refrigerator that's the problem. Right.
0: Great point. And so
1: I wonder if there's a way to think about it more. is like, no, I cannot have social media on my phone. I just can't. Like Just as you would not go and buy beer or wine or whatever, you just can't do that. And having that, and, and there has been studies showing that the way that you phrase this makes a difference. So instead of saying, I can't have social media on my phone, saying I don't have social media on my phone, it gives you a bit more agency. So I'm a person who does not keep social media on my phone, or I am right. not, I don't check email on my phone, whatever your problem might be with your phone. So that might be a useful way of, of playing around with thinking about it, because I think that is, that is the whole challenge, is that this technology is not going away. It has many wonderful things about it that makes, our, that make our lives better in some way, you know, more efficient or legitimately fun, but there's also a lot of problematic things on it. And uh, I think, yeah, treating it as if it were an actual addiction, even if psychiatrists are still arguing about whether to use the word, I think actually would be really useful to people. And it helps differentiate the lines between like, if you've got a bottle of, I don't know, water or like seltzers in your fridge, that's fine, right? Like no one has a problem with seltzer or if they do, I don't know, that that's a, not my area of expertise, but like, that's okay. And maybe you also have something you really love in your fridge. Right. I don't know. Now I'm getting too far into this fridge thing. But no, I, but I that love. Might I love be useful.
0: No, I love the fridge analogy. It's great. But what would the freezer be? What is that? That's like that's, <laughs> I think that's uh, where we that's keep the laptop. I <laughs> uh, no, I was
1: thinking maybe that's where you keep your dessert. But the, it shouldn't, you know, I, well, you know, it's interesting. I'm sorry. I know we need to wrap up. Can you tell I'm starved for human contact? I have type one diabetes. And so, well, it's not an addiction. It's like I have to say no and resist things all the time for that. And I've just learned over the years. I can't buy cookies because if I do that, then I'm going to want to eat them. So right. I just don't keep it. It's just I just don't do that. Um, so I think there might be something similar in how we think about our phones. that could be, it could be useful.
0: No, this is, I think you should write another book called the refrigerator. (laughs) What's in your fridge or something. I'm just
1: like, who moved the cheese? What's in your fridge? Yeah. Just spitballing.
0: (laughs) I mean, you're the, you're the author here, but I just think what's in your fridge could be something. Uh, Oh, I heard, I thought I saw movement.
1: I think you did. I did. Um, <laughs> okay. I think you now did. I warned now... Joe in the beginning there might be AM, a um a child who showed up in the background and she, on cue she has.
0: Hi. um <laughs> Okay. Well, I'll, I'll I'll let you go. uh Duty calls. Catherine, this has been so fun. I don't know that we ended with hope really, but do you want to did say we anything hope? We end with like
1: useful. Um, I no, I do actually. I remember what I was going to say. I did have a hopeful thing. To your point about like. you know, talking about it. I think that what needs to happen is we need to have more conversations about this. I'm thrilled that, um, that you're talking about this in your shows and making jokes about it. I think that's wonderful. And I would just encourage anyone listening to this who found any of what we talked about interesting to have conversations with people in your own lives. Cause I think the more we all talk about this, the more we'll be able to develop more of an etiquette around our phones and just healthier relationships that will help us avoid some of the negative effects that we've been talking about that's my oh, hope yeah.
0: yeah that's great that's <laughs> great hope and and I'm, like i said i appreciate your service to society by writing the book and spreading the word and coming on the podcast to talk about it i'm uh, tremendously grateful and i was so excited to have you on and uh, i'm glad we made it work so thanks so much for your time
1: oh i'm thrilled thank you so much it was really fun
0: awesome thanks Catherine. okay All go right. have go have fun <laughs> Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive Producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt. For the Laugh Button Podcasts.